This is episode number 67, Learning to be Comfortable While Being Uncomfortable, with Octavius Bishop. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you. To help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to ask some of the listeners who have had the privilege of listening to some of our other episodes to share any feedback you may have regarding our guests, regarding the content, and the material that we have been providing for you. The best way to do that is consider leaving a review on iTunes or reaching out to us through social media and letting us know what you've liked the most about our show, who are some of your favorite guests, and what future guests would you like to hear from. Now, let's get back to our guests. Are you intentional with the choices you make in life? He said, The truth of the matter is, we'll drive right past the other side of the highway or the other side of the track. Never go anywhere close to East Austin or never go anywhere close to certain areas or pockets of Austin or even the surrounding areas that I know are suffering. But we'll get on an airplane and fly all the way across the world. We'll come back and go to our nice $500,000 home. We'll get into our nice cars and we'll start our life all over again. We'll even tell the story about going to Haiti. We'll tell the story about going to Africa. And never do anything in our city to make ourselves uncomfortable. How often do you put yourself in uncomfortable situations? Without further ado, please welcome Octavius Bishop. Welcome back to another episode of the Overcoming Ads podcast. Today's guest is... I'm literally a friend of mine, even though I've only known you for the past couple, mm-hmm. couple hours. Yeah. But I was introduced to you through John Harrell. Yes. And so I wanted to connect with you and really learn about your story and your journey that you took from what you described to me as going from the projects to mm-hmm. really just believing in someone yeah. and in something and then having that reciprocate to mm-hmm. you and then turning that into a career in NFL mm-hmm. and then pursuing that with social work and other degrees that you've sure. you've mentioned. So I wanted to start out this conversation by having you share as much as you can recall about Mm -hmm. your upbringing and how your upbringing impacted your identity and then the different stages of identity that you ended up taking, Mm -hmm. which ultimately ended up leading you to wanting to become part of a community of other people. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you so much uh, for having me. Mm -hmm. Um, So my life... um, is definitely from the humble beginnings. I'm an only child, uh, grew up in a single parent home uh, and grew up in very uh, humble um, upbringing. Uh, mm-hmm. Grew up from the, in most places, uh, lower income neighborhoods, uh, the projects, housing authority uh, many times. But it, my, my journey is unique in that you know, when people talk about being poor, it's, it's easier to be poor when you have other people around. Mm. truth of the matter is I'm an Mm. only child who grew up poor Mm -hmm. so where there was some freedom 
um, a lot of the freedom led to freedom of loneliness, mm-hmm. right? And, and uh, also a lot of freedom of secrets and a free, freedom within my own imagination, which is awesome, right? You you can build limbs of creativity, mm-hmm. you know, when you grow up in the grew up in that world. But uh, I have strong memories of sitting in my the red brick apartments uh, and looking out at nighttime and seeing the change in my neighborhood. And there was this huge tree where people were um, would gather as time as, as the night changed and the night would change. So I would see prostitutes and I would see drug dealers oh, wow. and I would see gang members hanging out around this tree. And I realized from a very, very early age that I really liked to assess behavior. So even though there were violent things that were happening, there were things that that I've never even told anybody happened. Uh, that probably the cops would have been called, <laughs> but I'm not even sure that the cops would have come in, in, in some of my some of my neighbors. But I saw things that was that were really unique. I saw people who thought that they were actually the head honcho uh, at, at whatever doing. But then I also saw the people who were really making things work in the back scene. So I saw all the snake deals. I saw all the the power moves and everything. So I realized, man. I look forward to this at nighttime. <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't really grow up having, a, we had a home phone every now and then, or, or, you know, we had cable most times illegally every now and then. <laughs> uh, so sometimes my TV was definitely from uh, my the view of my uh, the neighbor bedroom, my, yeah, my, my bedroom window, right? So I, whether it was the, 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 the screams and the cries of domestic violence, or it was the... The, the the joy and happiness of somebody barbecuing something or the smell of barbecue uh it, it, it my childhood and my upbringing was an array of uh, of those things as a child and i had cousins and uh, other people uh in my life and uh, we went to church and a lot of you know i had some some friends and people within that but uh, a lot of my childhood because i was an only child mm-hmm. i spent a lot of time in that window assessing behavior of other people mm. I, I love how detailed you get with your childhood. And mm-hmm. so it, it just makes me think, where did you end up learning a lot of the emotions mm-hmm. such as love, anger, pain, mm-hmm. um, you know, a good portion of curiosity? Like what, who, do you, can you recall mm-hmm. some of the experiences or people yeah. that triggered that within yeah. you? And Sure. Some, a, a lot of it comes from just deep hurt, right? A, a lot of deep scars and a lot of deep hurt. Uh, I love my mother, and I and I and I know that my mother did the best that she could, but I, I believe my mother would probably tell you uh, honestly that she maybe lacked some of the um, nurturing mm. pieces of uh, an understanding of how to uh, to nurture, probably because of some of the hurts that she had. Mm-hmm. Did she love me? Uh, without a doubt, I know my mother loved me. Um, mm-hmm. Did she do the best she could do? Yes. What is she a hard worker? She is a true hard worker. Um, she's loved, has been loved in every neighborhood we've been in. She's a, she's a giver. She'll give you anything. Uh, but people have their own hurts and pains and, yeah. and, and things that they face that we don't necess- aren't necessarily detailed. Uh, so I learned, I, children learn uh, how to love, how they see it. And that's what I, that's what I learned. But, you know, I'm, I'm a man of faith and I really believe that, that God is, is an intentional God and, and people come into your life uh, to help you in areas that you need help. So there were people who were, who were in my life who helped me. I have, a, I have an aunt, I have uncles, I have, um, uh, there were pastors. And one lady in particular, uh, when we were living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, her name is Miss Wells. Uh, 
and Miss Wells lived, we all live in this uh, home. It was like an apartment home and we lived upstairs and she lived downstairs <laughs> and there was a basement. She owned all these Keep cats. Luxury. <laughs> oh yeah. She had all these cats and everything. And, um, my mom was, was young and she was a young mother. She had me in the night of her graduation. So she was still trying to figure out her life, mm-hmm. figure out where she wanted to go, what was going on. So in, in between that, with her trying to figure out motherhood or not, Miss Wells was, was a gift to me. Mm-hmm. And God gifted me with Miss Wells and Miss Wells would nurture me and, and keep me and feed me, make me this big bubbly fat boy, <laughs> just like her big fat cats. And she would feed me. She would tote me around every Saturday downtown uh, to, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, to this place called Big Boys. And mm-hmm. B- Big Boys was a restaurant that I would look forward to. She would go to Walgreens and get her prescriptions. <laughs> and she, we would go to, you know, go to Big Boys and I'd get a cheeseburger or pancakes or whatever. And we would ride the bus down there. And what I remember distinctly about specific things about Milwaukee is going downtown. There was a distinct smell of chocolate and beer. Mm. There was a distinct smell. Anybody that lived in Milwaukee, they know what I mean when I, when, I, when I say, wow, the smell of chocolate and beer. And so very early on, when you talk about the feelings of, of love and, and the, very, and the, um, the, the senses uh, that, that really arise during this time of what I felt like, whether it was the cool brisk of, Milwaukee, of the Milwaukee breeze off of Lake Michigan mm-hmm. on my skin, or whether it was uh, the, the, the distinct smells that I can, that I think of right now and that, that come to my fruition to bring up memories mm-hmm. uh, and moments. It, it, that's why I love, that's why I learned to love. Uh, I learned what love and, and, and acceptance was really from, from Miss Wells. Mm. Um, I know that my mother loved me, but there were people that God sent in my life to truly love me when I mm-hmm. needed to be loved in that way. And help you develop in and areas help me develop that you put in. Yes. Yeah. It's incredible. I think because, you know, as, as a, I was sharing with you before, one of the realizations that I've recently had is that it was through accepting my past and the role that my mom played in my life. Um, my, my story is that my mom was an alcoholic from a very young age, and so I didn't really have a parental figure to rely on. Mm-hmm. So I had to make a lot of adult-like decisions from a relatively young age. And it was just recently that I looked back at that whole experience and I said, you know, I, I forgive you because it's really due to her presence and existence mm-hmm. that I've been able to develop a lot of these skills that I have, mm-hmm. which are fundamental to me. Mm-hmm. So it's, it really goes back to what we spoke of earlier, and that is whenever there's a lack of something, there's always an abundance of someone. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. all about how you look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm a huge believer that life is at a balance at all times. That's right. I mean, you, you, may, you may not have the finances, but you may have the relationships right. that can help you get the finances and whatever else. And so it's, it's really just looking at it from a different point of view and reframing the adversity and really just saying, well, that, it is what it is, mm-hmm. but how do I move forward That's and right. start to think about the future? So when you spoke about this vision and mindset that you had, which... A lot of it, I guess, came from pain mm-hmm. and not wanting to live that lifestyle again. Would you say that that was one of the bigger motivators to get out of it and then pursue the football life and go through that? And then also, were, were there points within your journey as a college athlete and a professional athlete mm-hmm. where you took a step back and you, you had to check yourself mm-hmm. as far as, okay, I'm, I'm doing this for this reason? Mm-hmm. Yes, and and that that didn't happen until uh, we moved to Houston. Okay, and I had the opportunity to. I was blessed to 
moved to an area uh, into a high school called Westville High School where Emory Ballard was the head high school coach. And if you're not familiar with Emory Ballard, he's a, uh, a legend high school uh, coach within mm-hmm. the state. Mm-hmm. And Emory Ballard uh, also invented the wishbone offense at the University of Texas in mm. 1969 and 1970. I didn't know that. Yeah, and, okay. and, and they won two national championships during that time. He would go on to become a head coach at Texas A&M. And then he would go on to be a head coach at Mississippi State and mm. come back to finish up his career at Westville High School. And my last year in 1994 was his, is the year he retired. <laughs> so so when, I, when you talk about things happening and, and that life is intentional, I don't have a doubt in my mind that Coach Ballard was there for me during that, during that time of my life. And he's played such a huge role in who I've become because of the, because of the uh, relationship and because of the time I was able to spend with him. And not just him, but even the, the teachers and the people who were there, mm-hmm. uh, the people who believed in me when I couldn't believe in myself. Uh, so yes, Coach Ballard was played, you know, and, and me moving to Texas uh, was a, a huge deal, um, mainly because no one had ever advocated for my my educational education mm-hmm. uh, during that time. So I would be tested going into high school. I was tested on third grade reading level, and I was put in resource classes, uh, you know, below level classes mm-hmm. uh, at the start of high school. Um, but to make a long story short, uh, people would, Coach Ballard would believe in me and fight for me and other teachers and people would fight for me. Uh, and I would be, by the time I left high school, I would be on level uh, and on my way to the college of my choice because I, because I was a good football player. But not just because I'm a good football player, because of, of the development that was happening mm-hmm. uh, in my life and my maturation academically. So for the first time, like I said, in my life, I had people to actually believe in my academic process and, and, and me and believe in me to know that I could do something more mm-hmm. uh, academically. Uh, so I would evolve in high school. I would grow in high school. I would develop in high school that I, that I hadn't developed ever before. That had a lot to do with the acceptance, had a lot to do with people believing in me when I couldn't believe in myself. Mm-hmm. I had a lot to do with somebody finally taking interest in me. And seeing seeing the good parts of me and helping me with the areas that weren't so good, uh, this is really really cool and important with the the trans transformation that happened with my mother mm-hmm. during this period of time. Um, uh, Coach Ballard asked me um, that I want to play football, and I said, "Ah, my mother's <laughs> probably not going to let me play football." And he asked me where I lived. And those who are familiar with uh, the Houston area, they know it's a street called Kirkendall. Uh, it doesn't spell anything like that, <laughs> but it's it's a street called Kirkendall, and I lived behind some apartments behind the Lone John Silvers across the street from a Fiesta Market okay. uh, in Houston, and we didn't have a home phone at the time, and we used the pay there was a pay phone that we used all the time that was down at the bottom of, of the stairs actually, and Coach Ballard asked me what my number was. I said, you know, we don't have a home phone. <laughs> you know, we use this pay phone or whatever. And he asked me where I lived. Well. There's a conversation that happened between Coach Ballard and my mother that I I've never asked about, I don't really know about to this day. And Coach Ballard has gone on and he has his wings in heaven. And that he and my mother had. All I know is my mother said, Hey, you're gonna go to football practice tomorrow. <laughs> Somebody's gonna come pick you up. I jumped I jumped the fence and a coach named Stephen Gunther 
uh, one of my offensive line coaches and coaches on the staff, which is Stephen, I jumped in the back of his truck. Uh, he took me to to uh, to school to practice, and a relationship would form between me and Coach Gunther because every practice he would take me to, after every game, after every practice, he would take me home uh-huh. in, in his in his old beat up Ford truck, and. What's really neat about that story is is Coach Gunther um, passed away uh, for, for, from from uh, from cancer this this past earlier this year, and he requested that I do his funeral. So this coach that I had wow. had went on this journey with all through high school, what I was going through, what I was going through uh, with such a soft, strong voice. He, Coach Ballard, other coaches, um, wonderful men like uh, Robert Morrison, who's a, he went on to be a, a, a um, a principal. All these people have, you know, uh, Vince Sebo was my offensive line coach. These coaches, uh, they're imprinted and have a, a stain in my my memory mm-hmm. of who they were for me during this period of time. But Coach Gunther went on uh, to to be with the Lord, and uh, he called me before he died, and he, he he told me he said I wouldn't want anybody else to do my funeral but you. And mm-hmm. he had retired and moved from Texas and moved to Dubuque, Iowa. So I went to Dubuque, Iowa, to be with his lovely wife, Susan, and, and his family, and, and had the opportunity actually to, to do his funeral, sending, celebrating his life. I don't believe that's a bigger honor. It's mm-hmm. a bigger honor. That was a culmination of everything coming together mm-hmm. uh, for where God has taken me and, and how my life is formed. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to send somebody home whom you spent so much time with and who's believed in you so much, I think it, it, it kind of tells a story. Mm-hmm. I love that point because everything that you just mentioned about the different people that have played a role in your life, yeah. it really just goes back to community. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that when you are on a path to achieve anything in life, mm-hmm. it is very difficult to do it by yourself. That's right. And I think you are not meant to do those things by yourself. I think you're meant to do them with the help of other people, which really goes back to the choice that you make when it comes to how public am I going to be with the help that I need. Mm-hmm. And the story that lives inside me. So the the theme that you and I spoke about, however long ago when we had that first phone call, was this whole aspect of community. Mm-hmm. I as I started to look at this, and one of the things that I've noticed was that when you look at community and just human beings in general, based on my experience, we seek presence of mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. living beings yes and what's really interesting to note is that if that's true and if it is truly all about this one big community that we're a part of why do we choose mm-hmm. to break ourselves into these small groups mm. why do we choose to divide our cities mm-hmm. by major highways that's right our towns by railroads that's right instead of connecting them with sidewalks mm-hmm or either other paths or bridges is right yeah. or bridges yeah. why do we make that conscious choice mm-hmm. if deep inside of us we know that we crave human connection mm-hmm. to connect and want to learn more about the other being but yet we act intentionally mm-hmm. or not maybe that's the question maybe is the world are we building a world that's intentional to us mm-hmm. or are we just putting things in places where they shouldn't have been Mm-hmm. So why why do you think that is? Why do you think? I, I believe that, that there's something even. That's such a, a great question, Oleg, and I'm so glad you asked it because it's something that 
uh, convicts me strongly. Mm-hmm. And when I think about it, I think about missions. I think about missions, and I think missions is something that's so powerful mm-hmm. and so important. Um, when I think about it in my faith and as, as a Christian, the importance of going uh, overseas or to other countries uh, to actually uh, help people who have uh, less than we have here in America. But the truth of the matter is, is life and how we think is experience, perspective, and behavior. Mm-hmm. You only know your experience, which means if you're in America and you have an experience, you only know that experience. Yeah. So when someone says, well, wow, do you know that you're rich compared to the rest of the world? Well, it doesn't seem like I'm rich when I put in applications that I can't get a job mm-hmm. here in America. I don't mm-hmm. live all over the world. I live here in this community. Mm-hmm. And if I can't get a job or I can't, I can't find a sense of importance within this community, then my life is in shambles. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is, is, you know, I live in Lakeway and I live with, with, with friends and I go to church and I've been to church with people that I love and they do some wonderful things. We, we you know, we, we will go and uh, we just did it this weekend. We, we made 25,000 meals for Haiti here at this church. Mm-hmm. Uh, this church at Life Austin gives away you know, six figures, uh, like two times, t- times, <laughs> yeah, two times, even more than that, of, of money within the central Texas area to, to area, money just giving it away uh, to, to, to things that are really important uh, to this community and this city. We really believe in this city. But we are so, as a community and as, as, as people here in America, for sure, we will go to Haiti, we will travel to Africa, we will go to Guatemala. We do always, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things. Mm-hmm. The truth of the matter is, we will drive right past the other side of the highway or the other side of the track. Mm-hmm. Never go anywhere close to East Austin. Or never go anywhere close to certain areas and pockets of, of Austin, or even the surrounding areas that I know mm-hmm. are, are suffering. To do anything and we'll get on an airplane and we'll fly all the way across the world. <laughs> we'll come back and go to our nice $500,000 home. We'll get into our nice cars and we'll start our life all over again. We'll even tell the story about going to Haiti. We'll tell the story about going to Africa, Guatemala or Costa Rica and never do anything in our own city to make ourselves uncomfortable. The reason why we won't do something is because it makes us uncomfortable always. It makes us uncomfortable because familiarity breeds contempt. When we're familiar with something, it makes us uncomfortable. Some people who are going to watch this and when I, when I put this on my social media, they're going to be very uncomfortable. I'm okay with them being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for them to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I hope they are uncomfortable. That their very being is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I strive and I love being uncomfortable. Because putting myself in uncomfortable situations allows me to grow. Okay. See, muscle has, been tore, has to be torn down. And you tear down muscle to build up muscle. But you know what? The very, our very beings need to be uncomfortable. We need to wiggle a little bit mm-hmm. and make ourselves uncomfortable. See, as a pastor, I want to preach in every church. It doesn't matter. I want an opportunity to preach where the church is, where the people are so black that it, look, that it reflects green. I want to preach like I do here. My church was a predominantly Caucasian church. I want to preach to them too. I want to preach to churches that don't even speak all of all English. That's what I, that's what I thrive. Unity is what I thrive for. But very few pastors, white, black, or brown, have ever preached to congregations 
who don't look like them. Hmm. Most of us preach to the choir. I'm okay with preaching to the choir and I will preach to the choir many times. But oh boy, am I so interested in my other fellow brothers and sisters and pastors mm -hmm. who only preach to those people who look like them. Ooh, I would love to lock arms with them and force them to preach, not force them, allow them, give them an opportunity to preach to somebody else who doesn't look like them. Not across the sea, mm -hmm. in their own city. Hmm. Here in their own city. That would be really good. That would be a great place to start. So we don't build bridges because we're not intentional about building bridges. We're not interested in building bridges because many times the reason we go across seas is because we feel sorry for those people. In our own city, they say, you live in America, you can make it happen. But your reality is only your reality. Mm -hmm. The reality is only our reality. I think there's also a sense of pride that comes with something like that because just like you said, if the person is familiar with the part of Austin that, let's say, is struggling but they may not be aware of. So if the story is about, oh, I went to East Austin and I helped X number of people, they already know what that place is like. Mm -hmm. They've already seen it. But if you tell them this journey, how you went to a foreign country, mm -hmm. especially one that they haven't been to before, then you pique their interest. Mm -hmm. Then they want to know more. They want to know, okay, who are the people there? What do they do? Mm -hmm. How are they different? How are they similar? So it's it's interesting how we have that mindset that we think that making a change is going across the the waters mm -hmm. and helping someone else out there. Mm -hmm. But really, it, making a change is helping out your neighbor. No doubt about it. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. And, and, <laughs> and, and change is also such a, a huge topic because we think that in order for you to make a change, you have to change thousands and thousands of lives but really when you break it down change just stems from your choice mm -hmm. of wanting to help or change a situation for a person mm -hmm. whether they're struggling taking out the trash you've changed Didn't their know. way that's right you've changed their trajectory so it's it's really interesting how you how you it's it all goes back to how you look at the situation mm -hmm. And from there, it's what choice do I make, mm -hmm. knowing that situation. That's right. You know, and athletics has, has, has really, I'm so thankful for that. Because it's taking the, the lens off of judgment, and it's placed it on intentionality. Oleg, I can value what, what God has made you. The color of your eyes, the color of your hair, mm -hmm. the tone of your skin your structure mm -hmm. because God made you that way and I value that so I don't I don't so many people say well I don't see that no I see it I see every bit of what God made you mm -hmm. and what God made you is beautiful the problem is we're not being intentional enough mm. which means we will never have inclusion we will we will have a diversity because we because we're willing to to to, to um, you know get the numbers Right. And some people may even get paid for diversity at some point because, you know, they can meet the quota. But inclusion comes because we're intentional. Mm -hmm. We're intentional. Inclusion comes because I'm going to find a way to, to, to find a way to find out about what gifts you have. Mm -hmm. And we're going to bring those gifts in and we're going to work together and unify with those gifts. Mm -hmm. Because I see you as beautiful. Mm -hmm. Right. And you see me as beautiful mm -hmm. and whatever God has made you and whoever you are is beautiful. Mm -hmm. 
in the, in the eyes of God. But the truth of the matter is, we are all miracles. Mm-hmm. In in every in every encounter related to reproduction, there are 85, 75 million to ninety million sperm that didn't make it that that, that didn't make it to the egg. One of those did. <laughs> so every person we connect eyes with and make eye contact with is a miracle. The problem is we're looking right past people and we're choosing not to make eye contact. Mm-hmm. We're very uncomfortable with eye contact. Eye contact is the is the link into the soul, mm-hmm. just in who the person is. You can find out if a person's sad. You can find out if a person's happy. Mm-hmm. You can find out if a person disagrees with you or they do agree with you through eye contact. And when you meet people in eye contact, you know who they are. And people who can give you strong eye contact back <laughs> with, with gentle within a gentle nature or or, or or you're able to pique their interest uh, and they're unco- not uncomfortable with that we know that they that they lie in the same uh, you know world of unity that's how we're able to to, to unify mm-hmm. and, and, and understand that's where we have to start when the most simple parts of who we are which are so complex a lot of what you just said it just made me think of because we're so familiar with other human beings constantly mm-hmm. being around us we take that for granted. No doubt. And so we think that, oh, this person's always here. Therefore, mm-hmm. they will always be here. That's right. I don't have to have that conversation now. Mm-hmm. I can have it tomorrow mm-hmm. or a week or a month or a year down the road because they're going to be in this position anyway. That's right. So we take that for granted, but we don't know beyond now. <laughs> That's Next so, minute is not guaranteed. I know. We, we, you know, we take so, each other we, for granted we all the time. That's it right. Is somehow. I know. We think we have control over that. You're right. But in, in the truth of the matter is we really don't. No. You have no control over what your heart does next not minute. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Absolutely not. No. There's nothing you can do at this point. No. Literally. That's right. That's that's completely up to the uh, up to I believe the the, the the God I serve and, and when and when that happens, that happens. And we, we have a certain amount of heartbeats and that's it. And taking people taking each other for granted is so so true. The truth of the matter is we don't know what we have until it's gone. Mm-hmm. We have no idea until somebody makes a decision mm-hmm. to actually um, uh, remove themselves from from something or from organization or from a church or from other or, or, or you know, even a team. You know, we're talking about sports teams. Sometimes you don't know what you have in, in, until it's gone. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is, no matter how good or bad it was, they have that. They had value there. Yeah. Oh, they had value there. Yeah. And we don't recognize that value to, to honest. And I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that until it's gone mm-hmm. and to, until it's gone. We see it all the time. You know, hug your kids, love your kids, hug your wife, love your wife, hug your friend. Make sure you, you, you connect with them. You check in on them because if they're gone, you're going to really miss them. Mm-hmm. When they, if they leave, gonna, you're going to really miss them. Whether they leave and move to another city or move to another place that you don't see them or that they, their life has expired. Mm-hmm. You know, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna really miss them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's who we are. You know, at, at the end of the day, we can look past each other all we want to. We're the same. <laughs> We're the same. And at the end of the day, I need you, and you need me. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it, we, it's it's a fallacy. You know, I, that I, we live. I just had this conversation with a friend of mine who lives in San Diego, and I and I told her yesterday that her strong suit is being able to communicate certain thoughts and patterns and feelings through her, her own experience that I haven't had a chance to experience on the same level. Mm. And so I told her, I said, you know, what's really interesting about our friendship is that you've been 
you've allowed me to tap into a part of myself that is projecting onto other people mm-hmm. and tapping into their unique skills. Mm-hmm. I think when you make an impact, it's you think that it all comes down to you, but really it's the thousands and thousands of souls Ooh. that make up who you are. That's what it comes down to. And it's you're speaking each person's language that you allow. If I allow your words, your emotions, and any other form that you communicate with me to speak through me, mm-hmm. then I'm going to project part of that language onto the next person. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, I'm going to add on my strong suits, the drive, the persistence, the never giving up. And so as, as part of that, mm-hmm. you that's how you really impact. That's right. That's how you get a well-rounded impact on people. So it's 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 interesting that you just said that that you you speak through other people. Mm-hmm. You know, you live through other people. You do, yeah, th- th- no doubt. But every person that's been in my life, every single person, and how I I, I just actually uh, had a had a, a talk on this, and I, I, I speak often, and, and the the title of it was a lineage beyond my bloodline. Mm. And the truth is, all these people that we're talking about in my life, right? I, I started off talking about the uh, complexities and the, and, the, and the difficulty of being it's an only child uh, in a, um, you know, growing up in a home poor with nobody else to be poor with other than your mom. <laughs> That's pretty lonely, brother. It is. It, it's lonely. You got to get really creative, too. And you also got to have some mental toughness to help, you know, a lot, pull yourself out of some of those low places that I've been mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in my life. But uh, it's so, uh, it's, yes, it, it, it's important. A lineage beyond uh, our bloodline is so important. And, you know, so often we live in such an individualistic society. It's all about us. It's about our family. Uh, it's about um, j- just us as individuals, only about us as individuals. We, we you know, we, we, we build, uh, and it's, this is not all bad, you know, we, we build financial wealth just for our families yeah. uh, j- because we want to make sure that they're, but make sure that they're fine. Um, we, we, we only allow them and we're trying to build a legacy. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not sure that that actually leads to the greater, the greater uh, good. Yeah. You know, John Eldridge said it best. Uh, if I'm the main character in my life story, then my life story is too small. Mm. And then if I say I, I mean, I'm, I'm putting in the place of I, only my family, my only my church. Only when, when churches, when you aren't, when you're in a, in a in a church and that church and we're not connected to other churches with even within our own community, we got to We got some we got to really we, we got some stuff we got to address. Yeah. We supposedly this is about a kingdom. Supposedly this is a community. Supposedly, I have no problem only with being uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Yeah, I have no problem with uncomfortable conversation. See, some people take uh, uncomfortable conversation as conflict. It's not conflict. It's not. It's not necessary conflict. This is to me is something. This is called intimacy. This uh-huh. is an intimate conversation. You know what intimacy causes? Temporary instability. <laughs> Which means when it, when it gets real intimate, when it gets real intimate, that means, and, and, we got, and we're tugging at the very being of who we are, uh-huh. and there's some annoyance, and there's some frustration, and there's some, oh, you know, he thinks he doesn't. All of that is so needed. Uh-huh. All of that is needed, and I'm totally fine uh, with it being intentional. I am only who God has allowed in my life. Hmm. I am my mother. I am my father. I am I am her hurt 
I am her success. I am her only child. I am her son. But my father, who I didn't meet until three Septembers ago, since I was 10 years old, I am his disappointment. I am his neglect. I am his overcoming. I am a part of the forgiveness piece with him. I am connected to him. I love him. Uh -huh. I love my mother. Right? Uh, when we're in a community and tragedy happens with Katrina or some other things related to, you know, um, disasters, we are that. All those experiences, all those pieces, all those people, all, all my coaches, all those people, all the hurts, the pains, the lies, the the, the promises the, the, that didn't come to, I'm a, I'm a, all of that's me. All of that's me. It's all me. So at the end of the day, it's all about unity. Hmm. It is all about unity. And a lineage beyond our bloodline is really just a part of that unity leading into our, our identity and who we are and who we're becoming uh, and who we will be, um, what we'll be growing into throughout this journey mm -hmm. of life. Take me a little, take me a step back. And you had mentioned a comment about how through sports, you've mm -hmm. been able to identify this role of comparison, mm -hmm. which really translates when you think about just life, when you look at people, when I look at yourself mm -hmm. and the number of years you've been public speaking, I don't look at you as far as, oh, he's that much better off than me. Mm -hmm. I can't become that. Or how do I become that? Yeah. And so you started to, you start to seek out for these almost like shortcuts mm -hmm. to get to who you are. Ooh, but good. it took you so many years to get there. Mm -hmm. So if I'm the person that's humble and understands that it's just part of the journey mm -hmm. and you have to have that journey because yeah. you have to develop on your own. Mm -hmm. Even if I do get that shortcut to the next speaking gig that pays me $100,000, the question is going to become is, have I lived enough to be able to fully deliver mm -hmm. out of the person that I am today? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'll ever know that. <laughs> I'm not I, sure. I don't I, think we ever do. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think. I don't think I ever. I don't think I'll ever know that. Um, but you know, comparison is really, really interesting. You know, uh, it, it's it's an issue of the heart. You know, when, when we compare one another, uh, there's a difference between comparing and um, really assessing. Where does that start? Where does comparison start? Uh, I, I believe it starts at the playground. Okay. It starts at the playground in our development. Um, we, we learn the rules of engagement at the playground. So we learn who's fast. We learn who's the jerk. We learn who's the bully. <laughs> we learn the girl that we like who doesn't like us, but she likes him. We learn. That's how we learn. Okay. And, and then we compare ourselves. Like, well, I'm like, I like her, but I'm not. I mean, she likes that little skinny guy over there. And I don't look anything like that. So you start this comparison. And, and, and women in our society really have it bad. They have it the worst related comparison. You know, I mean, they see it everywhere. They see it in every picture. They see it in every magazine. They see it on TV all the time. They do it to one another. <laughs> you know, there's a comparison all the all the time. Um, but we, but men, we do it in a different way too. When we compare, usually it's like you know, we go up to a guy. Uh, we, you know, you didn't do this, but we, we, we when we meet one another, we, we you know, we say, so what do you do for a living? You know, that's how we compare ourselves, right? Because you know, ultimately, we we feel like if if what we do. For, you know, who has depending, the bigger paycheck? Yeah, who has a bigger paycheck means we got the big, better girl. Mm -hmm. And you know, and that's not true. Oh, you know, that's not true all, all the time. My, my wife is a great professional. I always tell people she's beautiful and she's a professional, and she really don't need me. Mm -hmm. See, uh, I'm, I'm blessed <laughs> because she wants to be with me. Mm -hmm. That's the that's that that's the deal. 
But comparison, uh, you know, comparing in itself is not necessarily bad. I, I compare fruits at the grocery store. I compare, um, okay, uh, you know, does it, do I want to afford it? Do I want to share it? We compare on that level, but it's comparing at the human level that causes issues because it's an issue of the heart. Hmm. It's an issue of the heart. Um, what's our intent? You know, the, the Bible talks clearly that there's no good intent in our heart. The only good content is, God, is God's intent. Mm-hmm. You know, our intent is is our intent. We have a, a plan and a, and a reason for why we're comparing. And our comparison has really led us to all of our issues in, our, in, in the world, to be honest with you. If, from country to country, from person to person, um, you know, from looking at c- comparing skin tone to skin tone, from gender to gender, comparing is really is really our, 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 our problem. Um, how we heal that is looking for opportunities of unity. Um, in, in my in, in my uh, humble opinion, uh, rather than compare, I want to glorify what you bring to the table. Mm. And if you glorify what I bring to the table, I don't have to compare with you because you've already validated what I bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And I automatically validate what you bring to the table, which leads to a extraction of inferiority. Mm. You know, you move you move them in inferiority away. And then now you're able now you're able to to to, to be positive like you said equal you, ground equal ground you're not mm-hmm. you know or just the value ground you bring mm-hmm. I I know for a fact that there are gifts that you have that I don't have mm-hmm. and the truth of the matter is because we don't have the same fingerprint or the same DNA and, <laughs> and there's no two brains that are alike I really don't shouldn't want your gifts I need to make sure that I want the gifts that inside of me that have not been revealed yet. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. So, so it, so it really doesn't matter if yes, we're on the same journey and yes, you may be at a different point. Well, how do you, rather than compare, how can I befriend Oleg? How can I learn to love Oleg? How can I learn about his story and who he is? And then what is he willing to gift me with? Mm. Right. What are you willing to gift me with? And because you gift me with uh, with with information or, or guidance mm-hmm. uh, and I'm accepting of that guidance, I don't have to compare to you anymore. You're giving it you giving it away as a gift. Mm-hmm. Once we begin to give it away as a gift, the comparison will go away. It's not about that. If one beautiful woman would try to make that next woman beautiful rather than that, rather than trying to one up her, then we have gift. Mm. Then we have a gift. Rather than me see that you live in a part of the in a part of the city that that is different than my part of the city, um, whether either side. Then 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 and and we see our, our likes. Then we can build bridges. Mm. But until we until we do that, until we're really to really look at it for what it is, which is humanity, uh, and really look at look at people as miracles, we we're going to have a problem with it. We will always compare. See, I fight comparison through the fact that I look at humans and other people as miracles. Mm-hmm. Any living being is a miracle to me. A tree is a miracle to me. Uh, a, 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 a dolphin at, at, at SeaWorld is a miracle to me. Mm-hmm. A dog or cat, they're miracles to me because they've been created by something greater than me. Mm-hmm. The probability of it happening was so high. It was so high. Yeah. That's right. You made it. Yeah. You made it to the egg. Yeah. <laughs> you made it. Yeah. It's incredible. I've never looked at it that way, but it, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Just the journey that life takes. From the from the from the very beginning. Yeah. There are millions that didn't make it. Yeah. Millions that didn't make it to the egg. 
in your experience. Wow. Final thought for today's episode, and this is this is a question I ask all of our guests, and that mm-hmm. is, who or what are you grateful for today? Oh my, there are a few things I'm grateful for. I'm truly grateful for my faith um, and my belief system. It means so much to me when I was at my most lowest point or any, any points in my life, whether it's those things that have been successful, those things that you know didn't turn out how they were going to. My faith it has been uh, a strong suit uh, mm-hmm. in it. Um, today, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, it, it's, so it's God. Next, it, it's definitely my family. I'm so grateful for my beautiful wife and my beautiful, three beautiful kids. Uh, I, it's beyond me to, to even, you know, understand why I've been blessed in, in that area. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just so grateful for it. And then, and then others, uh, the, the opportunity to actually make eye contact with other people means everything to me. Some people, people say they love people. They love the people who can do things for them. I, I legitimately love people. <laughs> I legitimately 100% love people whether you b- believe in what I believe in or don't believe what I believe in whether you're gay you're straight whether you're whether you lo- whether you're uh, you know I don't care whether you're, whether you're sitting in a prison or whether you're sitting on the corner I love people I, that and, and because I love people uh, it doesn't mean I have to agree with everything they do but I legitimately love people Whatever you're going through, I can hug your neck no matter what. It doesn't matter. I can be your friend no matter where, really where you, where you are. It, 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 it doesn't matter. Uh, so I'm grateful for the journey God's taking me on uh, related to extracting, continuing to extract comparison, something I will always deal with in my life, or whether extracting the, the feelings of inferiority or the things that, I, that happened before I ever got to this point. I'm thankful for that. So it's God. Uh, it's, it's family, it's others. And then I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful, uh, to live in America. I really am. I'm very thankful with all of the issues, with everything we've talked about, with the, with the lack of unity and, 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 and people, um, looking past one another sometimes or, 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 or our issues here in this country. I'm thankful that you and I can sit here and we are not going to be thrown into a dungeon. We're not going to be killed because we talk about our belief systems or what or or or, or, or something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very thankful uh, for, for America, no matter where we are. I'm thankful for the sacrifices that have been made uh, for me and for for me to have my beautiful family and for me to work at, at this beautiful campus at Life Austin and to have the leaders I have and and um, Pastor Randy Phillips and other people. Uh, who are part of my part of my life? I'm I'm just thankful uh, that I'm an American. I'm thankful to be a, a part of that. Um, I'm proud to be an American. I'm not um, uh, arrogant to be an American. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not that the Eric not the arrogant piece of it. There's a difference. Yeah. I'm proud to be an American. I'm I'm thankful and humbled to be an American and to live in this great city. Uh, thankful for this city. Thankful for Austin, uh, Texas. Um, and just the, the, the wonderful people here. Mm-hmm. So, Octavius, how do people find you? What are some of the things that you have coming up that people can be a part of to, whether that's seeing you in person speak mm-hmm. or any other activities that people can be more aware of? Yeah, I have a, I have a, you know, a, a strong um, presence on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can, you can um, uh, my Twitter is um, Big O Speaks. 
is, is my is my is my Twitter Twitter deal or Octavia seventy five. You can get to it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm also on Instagram. You can find me on, on Instagram uh, Octavius seventy uh, five or Octavius Bishop. Mm-hmm. And, and and Facebook. I'm I'm public on on Facebook. Uh, I also have a uh, a website uh, with with some information that tells a little bit more about me. Uh, uh, called www.bigospeaks.com. So, so you know, I, I, I'm, I'm there, and I'm also, and I preach often uh, around this area uh, in, 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 in the city. Uh, so, I, I preach often at different churches, but mainly, I'm a family pastor here at Life Austin, here off of 71. Um, we have a great Sunday experience here, a great experience here at our church. So, I, I preach here, and I preach at other places around um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the city. So if you stay tuned, look on site, uh, and you, you'll, you'll see what I'm doing. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you Thank being you. on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Oli. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of the latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with Overcoming Odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to having you next week.